Hello, and welcome to On Record in Conversation. I'm Jess Collins from the Birmingham Music Archive. In this podcast series, recorded in front of a live studio audience, we explore the vibrant and diverse music history, heritage and culture of Birmingham through the stories of some of those who have shaped and continue to influence the city's musical landscape. In this episode, Satnam Rana talks to TJ Rami, a critically acclaimed artist known for his creative and innovative approach to composition and production. Satnam asks about his influences as a guitarist, composer and producer, asking about his experiments with technology and Asian sounds, which became an integral part of the Asian underground movement. TJ Remy. Yep. I'm sure many of you know already, but just to recap guitarist, composer, producer. You've been pioneering technology and Asian sounds forever and a day. Worked with Bhangra artists, Asian underground, but also jazz, funk, reggae, so, so much. And with such acclaimed artists and their associations all over the world. It's been a long and successful career and continues. Yes, it continues. It's it's never-ending for an artist. Well, we like it when it's never-ending because it means the son of Birmingham continues to bless us with his sounds. So really looking forward to finding out a bit more about you as a person and the man behind the music. I shall try my best. (laughs) You'll be ace, you'll be ace, you'll be ace. Let's start from the beginning then. Where were you born? Um, Okay, I was born in a place that sounds like an Italian city. (laughs) Sorrento in Mosley, Sorrento Hospital, uh, it's a hospital that's, you know, sadly no longer there. Sorrento Maternity Hospital, it was called. A proper, mostly brummy. So South Birmingham. Yeah. In fact, we spoke to Carol last week, Carol Pemberton right. from Black Voices, and she was also born at Sorrento. Oh, right. I'd uh, never heard of Sorrento Maternity yes, yes, Hospital. What is it now? It's just... Houses? It's houses, yeah. Houses, I think it's a houses. bunch of houses. Um, so South Birmingham, tell me a little bit about your family. Um, how did you find yourself um, in that part of the city? Well, um, I was brought up in an area called Ballsleaf, and uh, it's an area that my my parents came to. They were from India and Pakistan, originally from uh, Jalandhar in India, the Punjabi parents, and during the partition they had to uh, move over to Pakistan. Then my father came over here to work. Incidentally, my, um, my grandfather was also here before my father, after the First World War, he came here to work. He went back and then my father came to Birmingham. So your, your family had that sort of story of double migration from India to the newly yeah. formed Pakistan and from Pakistan to, to Borsal Heath in Birmingham. Yeah, wow. From Jalandhar to Borsal Heath. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds quite exotic, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, yeah. <laughs> if anybody knows Jalandhar, it sounds like job. a title of a book, doesn't it? From Jalandhar Something to... Something like that. Yeah. Do you still have any connections? Not in India, but in, in Pakistan we have a lot of you know, family there, so I don't visit as often as I should, but yeah, we do have a uh, family, uh, I'll come an extended family. And, and I'm, I'm just curious, how open were your parents about speaking about their journey from India to Pakistan? Was it in your family, like in some families, a bit like our World War One and World War Two veterans, where actually you just don't address the issue at all? Well, they didn't address the issue too much. I guess they were busy you know, with life and um, as a child. Uh, I wasn't really interested as a child. It's, it's only as I got older that I became interested uh, in knowing what happened you know, historically. 
So. And how important has it been for you to make that discovery and learn? Oh, it's been very important, you know, to, to know um, one's historical roots, you know, you know, where we're from. Come to think of it, something else comes to mind. I recently did, um, I sent my blood sample off to this, my, my heritage. I, don't, I wouldn't normally do that, but during the uh, lockdown, I just felt that I wanted to find out where I was from. And uh, the results came back, and I was quite, su I was quite surprised. In my blood, it showed up a large percentage of my DNA is from the north of India, which is to be expected. Some of it's from the Middle East, Iran area. And the surprising thing was that um, a small percentage of it was from Scotland and Ireland. <laughs> See, I, Irish Scotland, I thought, what? Scottish Ireland? What the hell's going on here? Well, somebody was <laughs> naughty somewhere along the lines. <laughs> yeah, so so, so it's quite international, even yeah. my, my, you know, genetically. Uh, Mirrors your music. Just, it just came to mind, I thought you yeah, might yeah, find no, that interesting. Like, I, I, do you know, for <laughs> me, that feels actually quite appropriate because yeah. it's just as international as the music and the sounds that you produce, which we all come to. Yeah. So what sort of boy were you? How did, where did you fit into the family? Uh, were you shy? Were you loud? I just remember um, being ill, you know, being asthmatic. Yeah, and um, so I was quite skinny. They used to call me Sukha Buddha. <laughs> you know what Sukha Buddha means? You know, your Punjabi means old man. Old man. <laughs> so when I was a kid, old man, because you did coughing all the time. It was like, um, so I just remember that. And we used to play in the streets, play in the Calfoot Park. We just lived near Calfoot Park. And um, a lot of memories are coming back to me now. Uh, I just remember everything being black and white, black and white TV, coal, fire, toilet in the back garden. There was no toilet in, you know, inside. And I also remember, that's it really, that kind of thing. Really nice. But asthma's gone away, you know, since I um, reached around about the age of 19. But I don't know what it was. It might have been the paraffin heating, actually, back then. We had paraffin. It might have been the pollution that was causing asthma, but... Um, that's what, I, that's what I remember. So, not exactly shy. I don't think I was shy. But definitely I do remember being ill and spending time in hospital. Going in and out with asthma. Yeah, with asthma. Yeah. And who were you playing with then um, in um, the street, Heath? Just, well, just other kids in the street. You know, Asian kids, West Indian kids, you know, Irish kids, English kids in that particular area. And this was what, in the... 60s. 60s, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, actually, at a time when the community was... It establishing was, its roots It was here. establishing its roots, I mean... Against a backdrop of, let's be honest, in some quarters, not feeling very welcomed. That's another story altogether. Let's the, go the, through the, that, because oh, it's okay. important as part of our, yeah. our, our histories here yeah. in this country. Um, well, in terms of not being welcomed, um, that's something that wasn't so apparent to me in, in the early days, because if you're inside a community, you're sheltered. It's only during the 70s, when I was a teenager, that I went out, that's when I started experiencing, uh, you know, racism. So I did encounter quite a lot of that. And it, it, was, it was hurtful because at that time I couldn't understand why are they being racist, you know, because as far as I was concerned, you know, I'm born here and I didn't really think much of it. And then obviously, um, you know, you go through a process of thinking and learning and it's something which is part of growing up, I guess, you know, learning about your roots and about where you are and what happened. That must um, have been quite difficult because, you know, the juxtaposition of you growing up in Borsal Heath with a close-knit community, playing with 
young children from all communities, as you yeah, said, yeah, yeah. from, you know, black, Irish, English, Asian, and yeah. then suddenly to find yourself in we teenagers. By the way, we used to go scrumping. I, I, just, I just wanted to mention that. You used to go what? Scrumping. What, that's, what's that's that? That's very important. That <laughs> okay, I did, I'm not a child of the 60s. I'm a child of the late 70s. You've okay. got to explain that Scrumping one. <laughs> is when you go and nick apples and pears from other people's gardens. Your gangs of, you know, we just go to someone's garden and just get the apples and... It's a UK thing. Okay, it's a, it's a young people having fun, excitement. Because there was no money, no sweets, no toys. We made our own toys, you know, go-karts and bicycles and go scrumping and just fighting and playing in the park. It was great. <laughs> really. What do you do with the apples is what I want to know. Apples. Probably ate <laughs> some and threw the rest away. <laughs> <laughs> Poor apples. Throw, throw apples at each other, you know. I wanted to mention that. It's very important to me. Well, important to you, and I'm sure it's going to evoke to, a lot of and memories. To, and to a lot of other people. You, you, yeah. You're turning. The mind is like a pleasant garden, and if you start turning over certain stones, you don't know what's going to come out from underneath that stone. Memories. It could be a good memory or a bad memory. But they're the making of all of us, aren't they? Yeah, but it, it is important. The garden is the garden, yeah. I think and I understand. I'm, going with the, I'm, I'm with you here in the garden. You, the, the garden has weeds. The garden has flowers, the garden has plants. And the garden has memories of racism during the 70s, if we get you know, back to that. And I don't want to get too much into it, but that's just part of, um, that's a part of life. And you know, racism exists throughout history. There's racism in India as well. You know, it's prejudice, isn't it, based on maybe colour? And religion, religion where we are and, in, mm. and it's understandable when new people come, you know, it's all about fear. I guess that's why these things exist. Am I getting a sense that, obviously, I've opened up a bit of a, a memory box there of, of the tough times you had and many of your peers had at the time, but were you able to take that um, very negative experience and create some positive energy flow from it? Eventually, yes. You know, uh, life becomes whatever it is, positive. But at the time, you know, there were many experiences fighting, skinheads, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, I remember for a while we moved away to Manchester. My father decided, to, um, let's move to Manchester. We stayed there for about half a year, and then we came back to Birmingham. It was terrible in Manchester. It was worse than Birmingham. I used to be going to school. I used to have two fights a day. Really? On the way, on the way back, you know, all to do with racism. And the reason why I had two fights a day was because of... Um, I didn't want to, how can I explain this? Um, I just went for it. Instead of hiding and running, I just decided to stand and fight, and that was it. And most of the time, it was to my advantage. Because if you have the right mental attitude, you know, you can fight. I, uh, I, yeah. And I, I didn't like it, but we had, I've got memories of fighting and then running for the bus while we're fighting, and jump on the bus. It's like a movie scene, I can still remember it. And, and, you know, for my generation, I know that you guys went through this. I've got uncles who went through this as well. And sometimes, and I'm the generation after, so never mind the guys who are, who, yeah. who are behind me. It sometimes is hard to compute, but at the same time, we know the same sort of stuff still happens today. So that whilst there's yeah. progress, there's also the, the continuation of as well. Yeah. Um, now it's not, you know, so racist. In your face. It's not in your it, face. It, it might be face, yeah. in the background and just maybe a little bit institutionally, and, uh, but it's not, not like before. 
So that was life back then. What about now? Now, it's yeah. been a long time since then, since the 70s, isn't it? Now I have um, a family with four children and five grandchildren. So you've created a legacy, a living legacy, your, yeah, your so, dynasty. So second, was I'm, I'm first generation, second, third generation, yeah. And I know you played a little message from your um, grandkids with, with huge pride. They call you? Um, they call me Abi. Well, my kids called me Abu, which means father. And then the grandchildren started copying the kids. And one of them, the youngest one, he was a baby, and he started calling me Abby, and everybody thought, oh, that's cute. So they all started calling me Abby, all the grandkids. So I, think, I think it's cool, Abby. It's better than Abu. I love Abby. Yeah. Abby sounds nice, sweet, but Abu yeah. sounds like, ooh, frightening. Well, ooh, with the ooh sound. Well, you know, when you're a dad, you are frightening. When you're a granddad, well, quite frankly, you're just one big cuddly. No, no, granddad, bear. yeah, being granddad is cool. Being a father, I don't know. But your, your children, to have had, you know, a dad who was a music producer and in bands, playing with bands, they must have thought you were cool. Yeah, sort of, but yes and no. No, because uh, probably because I should have spent more time with them, which is not just not because I'm a musician. I mean, all dads, young dads are like that. It's only when they become granddads that they change and realise, oh, and they start spending more time, you know, which is, which is what I do now. You know. And do you bring music um, to your grandchildren as oh, well? Oh, yeah. I, I make sure that they have plenty of music. I make sure they visit my studio. I just hand them instruments and just, just jam. And I think it's important because, especially now, there's just too much technology and phones and TV, and, and they can, I think kids are getting distracted and influenced by uh, this new technology. And they, so it's important to, to take them away from that. And, you know. But that's a bit weird because... The music you produce relies on technology. Yeah, but that's a different topic. That's to do with recording. I'm talking about phone technology. You know, looking at the phone or watching too much TV. There's too many channels they could be watching for hours. Yeah. Rather, right. than, rather than being engaged, um, you know, with playing, running, you know, being creative yourself, doing artwork. So I think that you know it's very important. Uh, Is that the type of kid you were? Were, were you? Was music your subject in school, or was there another favourite subject? Um, in, in school, um, yeah, I was very good at art and uh, English poetry. Not so good at maths, my worst subject. Although I did maths later on. As a mature student to get into university, I had to do maths again. <laughs> Were you in any um, poetry clubs or anything like that, or was it just, just, um, you know, just school and that's it? Actually, I went to an amazing school, uh, secondary school. It was called Mount Pleasant. It later became Highgate. And then it became Joseph Chamberlain College. Uh, and then it got knocked down and moved. The building moved across the road. And, well, Mount Pleasant was an amazing school. I would, the word that comes to mind is cosmopolitan. I remember there were um, kids, pupils, kids. <laughs> Asians, but from Africa. They suddenly arrived from Uganda. I think it was Uganda. Yeah. And they were different, they were a little bit more modern. I thought, wow, they play guitar. They're not like us, you know, they're like, wow, they're really clever. And then some of the kids arrived uh, from Zimbabwe, no, from Rhodesia, because there was a revolution, so mm -hmm. the politicians sent their kids over, and they were cool and different. And so, um, and on top of that, you, you had, obviously, the Asians from India and Pakistan, you had West Indians, and, and then you had Irish and English people. It was such an amazing mix. 
So when you saw these cool people coming over from Uganda and, and other countries, and you, you said, you know, they were cool because of playing guitar. Is they that all, where they, you... Is they that were all into you, music. What's, is that where you discovered it from? It wasn't just they who were into music. Now, this particular school was full of these teachers, unlike any other teachers I've ever seen, ever. And they were all into rock and music. They were all like a bunch of lefties, socialists, you know, educated people, you know, good people, and all into poetry. The system was different then. They didn't, there was no curriculum like you have now, a fixed cr uh, government curriculum where everybody uh, learns the same. Then it was you know, totally different. And yeah, there was a lot of music going on at that school, a lot of um, and poetry. I used to write poetry. They used to type my poetry out and encourage me to write more poetry. And um, we used to have activities after school. Teachers used to bring Marshall amplifiers with guitars. Oh, wow. And we used to plug in. There was teachers used to make me tapes, cassettes. I used to say, sir, have you got any good music? Yeah, okay, I'll make you a cassette. And he made me a cassette with Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix. There you go. Go home and listen to that. They were totally cool, yeah. When I was doing English, I was in a classroom and the teacher was making coffee. He used to say, do you want a coffee? No, fine. And he's smoking his, he's smoking his pipe and talking about poetry and literature. And we're in the room and it was like... It feels like the stuff of films. No, no, it was, I've never seen anything like that, you know, you know really. The rules were different then, you know. There was no fixed curriculum like they have now. I quite like it. A bit of free-flow curriculum, imagine that. I mean, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. They were, they were proper teachers, I know. I didn't mean to say lefties and like, socialists. Did, it, like, did, did you get but the they were. They, they did have long hair, so I just assumed, you know. When I say socialists, I mean, they were sort of free-thinking. Yeah. That's what I, I doesn't mean that they were socialists. I'm just using that word loosely. One, of, one particular teacher... Um, and her husband who was a vicar <laughs> and uh, yeah she was good you know she used to type up poetry so is she the teacher that stands out for you in terms of yeah, inspiring there was, you yeah there was another teacher called Mills he was a good teacher too and so when did you did you pick up the guitar at school or outside school um, it was in school that I started playing the guitar and then I started jamming you know with different musicians in the area and just playing and just learning of each other so no formal lessons? No, no, not, no formal lessons at all. Just my friends were, the, were teachers. So you were hanging out with the teachers, jamming with the teachers, kind of learning, learning on the fly a little bit, guitar. Yeah, just hanging out with people and just learning. And mum and dad were cool with this? Sort of. Sort of cool. Like most parents, they probably wanted me to be something else, like a, like a doctor or a lawyer, most Asian parents. Typical thing, mm. you know. You probably would have guessed that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I meant to be a nurse. Did you? Were you meant to be a nurse? Yeah. Well, my mum was a nurse, so she thought I should go into nursing. Yeah, all right. You kind of didn't just break the mould. You guys smashed it and made it possible for people like me to have some sort of hope about, you know, getting yeah. into um, art and arts and culture. Well, some of us are driven to do art. You know, it's something um, you don't choose. You have to do the art because there's nothing else that you want to do. That's why I do music. I just... I tried to do other things. I did try to do um, teaching. Uh, and during the 80s, I played in a lot of Bangra bands, you know, doing a lot of session work. And then around about 1990, I went to university, did a BA, did music, and then I did a bit of supply teaching. But then after that, shortly after that, I went back to just studio work. So what made you do the whole um, going back to university and doing um, music education? Well, I thought I'd try to be normal and <laughs> have a... Have a plan B, just in case it doesn't work out. Let me just do something sensible, get a, 
something under my belt so I can earn money. I guess that that was the thinking. It runs through all of us, doesn't it? Yeah, but you it, have it <laughs> kind of didn't work. It, it just wasn't me. I, you know, I thought, uh, just go with the flow, do, do what you want to Try to make music work. And the thing is, you have made music work. And you, yeah, have, yeah. It's not just, you haven't just stuck to one thing. I've You've tried had this hard, beautiful yes. journey of music. Yeah. So I'd really like to explore that. Um, so it started off with... In the 80s. Was that the Pungra okay. era? No, no. Before, no, before, before the Pungra, I was playing in some reggae, local reggae bands. And then I met Andy Hamilton. He plays, he was a West Indian sax player. And then um, I used to go to his house and just learn jazz uh, okay, let's stop for a moment. How did you even meet him in the first place? Um, because I met his son, Graham Hamilton, who played trumpet, and he used to be in the Fine Young, young Cannibals. Later on, he joined them. But I met him um, because through social networking, real networking, not, 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 uh, not phone, but real networking, you meet people. That's how we used to network. So the phone was someone's flat. You go and chill, and they had instruments, and you go and jam, jamming. And, me, and just meeting people. So is that how you entered the jazz scene? Yeah, but well, that's how life was then. It's difficult to explain how life was then. Don't forget, there was no... The phone hadn't been invented. Only in Star Trek you had the phone, right? <laughs> and so you just hang out with people, and, and, you know, you learn from people and find out, oh, you know, check this book out. I had one friend, his name was uh, Soterios Papadopoulos. He was obviously Greek. And uh, he was studying nuclear physics at Aston University, but he was really into jazz guitar, you know, really obsessed. And so he became my friend because I met, I met his brother, whose name was Demetrius. He said, oh, my brother plays guitar. Come on, you know, come on, I'll, I'll introduce you. And I went to his place, and then he was into um, some bebop jazz, and he, he used to have a reel-to-reel and listen to jazz. And he heard me play guitar. He goes, nah, he's a Eurobish. I said, what do you mean? What do you, what, what do you mean? He goes, no, check this out. Check this guitarist out, West Montgomery. Check this Charlie Parker. Wow. Yeah, okay. And uh, here's a book. Study this, you know, intervals and scales. So this is how I got educated. And, he, he, and this particular guy influenced me. I thought, wow, okay. And That's so the, one example, anyway. And the whole Andy Hamilton stuff. He used to have a big band, so I used to play in his band and have chords in front of me and just practice playing chords. And I, I used to go to his house, and, and that helped him to practice while we were practicing. Do you remember your so, first gig with them? No, I don't remember my first gig at all. At all? At all, I don't remember what first gig I did. Did it just kind of blend from... I just did gigs, in local gigs, you just go and play. Or you just jam in front of people. I was going to say, it feels like you went from jamming to stage, to yeah. jamming to yeah, venues to... Yeah, and then in, in, in um, what was it, around about 1985, the Bangra scene was being invented. Don't forget, a lot of the Bangra was invented in Birmingham, and people don't realise this. Home of British Bangra, as I always say. East Birmingham. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit from Wolverhampton and Coventry, but they're kind of not that important, really. They really are. Yeah. You're talking to Wolverhampton. from Wolverhampton. And my dad listen, was in a Bangra yeah, band as well. Listen, so. <laughs> really? Well, we should really annex Wolverhampton and, 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 and Coventry and sort of inco incorporate them into Stop. Birmingham. They're both as beauty beautiful <laughs> as each other, but Wolfrunians are different to Brummies. Thank you very okay, much. All right, then but I am ado an adopted daughter of Birmingham. You know, you spend so much time yeah. here that actually you're right. Um, obviously, Bangra is Punjabi, and it comes from uh, the Punjab, which is in India and, and Pakistan. Mm -hmm. But the type of Bangra uh, that we invented was unique, or is unique, to UK. 
and to Birmingham, the sound in Birmingham. So not, not, not in London. They never had Bangra in London. Well, they did a couple of Bangra bands, but mainly in the Midlands area. The so, area. so here it was, so 1985, um, it was kicking off and there were quite a few bands around. Right, yeah. I joined a band called um, Pardesi, or Pardesi, or Pardesi. Pardesi, yeah. <laughs> okay, and... Um, Pardesi Sound Machine, yeah? I yeah. remember that album. My, yeah, fir- so my, my first one, my first Punjabi So <laughs> I worked with them on their first two albums, co-producing with them and a sound engineer, and that's my kind of uh, introduction into wanting to produce... At the time, uh, they um, used to stand on stage with a harmonium, a table with a harmonium, and the, ne- the band's name on the table. And then I turned up and said, well, what are you doing? Because I had already been in other bands uh, where you have a drum kit, bass player, guitar, keyboards, you know, reggae bands, rock bands. So I knew all this stuff already. So I said, what, what are you doing? Why don't we make a proper band? Forget the table, hold the microphone. And they were, they were a little bit sort of frightened at first, and then they soon got the hang of the two singers, they soon got into it, and said, okay, guitar, let's get a bass player, drums, and then we started um, incorporating uh, guitar and bass and drum ideas with tabla and dolky rhythms, and it was new then, you take it for granted, but then it was very new and really cutting-edge stuff. Even putting a reggae bass line to a bangra beat, that was cutting-edge then, so I was creating a bass line so it fit in the groove of a bangra beat, now it's nothing, but then it was like, wow, it was like mind-blowing. A reggae bass line with the Bangra beat, wow. Yeah. It was mind-blowing. Yeah. That's the era that I was, you know, starting to, I yeah. guess, probably 1905. So, yeah. you know, coming into that 9, 10 age and um, you start hearing your parents listening to some new music or your yeah. older cousins listening yeah, yeah, to new yeah. music. And it was also the time when Bangra bands here in Birmingham, but also the spin-off from that was all the daytimers. Yeah, later on. Did you play at those? Yeah, I played loads of daytimers. Let's explain daytimers because it's daytimers and nighttimers, and we played. I did a lot of gigs all throughout, all all around the world. But the daytimers you want to talk about is um, is when kids could not go to clubs, Asian kids, so they went to clubs in the daytime. That's called a daytimer. So they went into a club. So the parents, sometimes the parents, didn't know, so they sort of go clubbing and have that kind of, you know. I never went to one. You never went to one. I was proper square though. Oh. I remember the once one of the teachers saying, Satnam, is there an Asian festival? <laughs> and I was like, no, sir, they all got on a coach to Birmingham for a daytime. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to arrange a daytime, just especially for I you. I really still need to, it's like on my bucket list, I still need to go to a daytime. Yeah, right. But quite frankly, an Asian wedding, Indian wedding, yeah. you know, the Bhangra yeah, yeah, music, yeah. that's kind of like a yeah, daytime. Yeah, we, we used to play, a, um, it soon became popular then for Asian, the, the um, thriving new Asian community to have uh, bands. This is before DJs spoiled everything. I went to Canada, America, and Dubai, around Europe, playing, doing gigs, uh, at weddings, festivals. It was a wonderful experience. Do you think that Bhangra would have taken on that international tone without the likes of you coming onto the scene? No, without me. Nothing would have happened, personally. TJ Remy. <laughs> Do you mean me? TJ, TJ made it happen. Without TJ, you've heard it here first, okay? Yeah. Bhangra would still be... Yeah, it would still be just a harmonium and thumbi. No, no, seriously, no, 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 I'm joking. No, it's not just me. There were a lot of other, you know, good musicians as well, you know. A scene gets created when a lot of people together are doing the same thing because we're all of a similar age all playing instruments, all the similar influences and, you know, thoughts. That's when something gets created. That's what happened with Bangra. 
And then the, there was a post-Bangra scene in the 90s, which is called um, Asian Underground. Okay. They, call it, they call it Asian Underground, which I kind of didn't like, but we have to use that because then you have um, other people like Talvin, um, Nitin, uh, Fundamental, Sam State of Vungo, and then myself was all... At the Tell time, us why you didn't like it at the time. Because um, I felt that I was creating new music. Why should you call it Asian Underground? It's, it's just music. It belongs to the planet world. Why are you, you know? Yes, I'm Asian, but it's my music. has got drum and bass in it and reggae in it and, and jazz in it. and It's got everything in it. It's not just Asian Underground. That's why I felt at the time. And how do you feel now about no, it? No, I don't back? mind. I think it kind of sounds cool, Asian Underground. Oh, I used to love it. I'm going to an Asian yeah. Underground night. Yeah. So, yeah, that's something that happened later. That was after my Bangrag. I went to London, and then I started working with Nation Records, which is part of um, BMG, and Aki Noah runs uh, Nation Records. Uh, I went to London with demos to meet a few people. I had two sets of demos. One was commercial. I was trying to copy pop bands, and I thought, well, I might, I might make it with this commercial. Then I had another tape with just mad creative stuff done on Atari, like, like you know, like um, stuff that is... Um, that really blew my, my mind, actually, because it, I, I'd never heard anything like it, like drum and bass with Indian flutes and tabla. I'd never heard anything like it. And anyway, I, I played it to a few people, and I played it to Aki, and immediately said, this tape, forget that, that's, we don't want that, anybody can, this. I said, oh, you like this stuff? Yeah. He said, the more effed up, the better. Because Aki's from a punk background. Mm. He said, this is what we want. And it's because I didn't know, but there was a scene happening, especially in London of underground Asian people doing experimental music and it was evolving so I became part of that scene. Did it were you were you sad at all that you had to leave Birmingham to go and do that and discover No, that? I didn't leave Birmingham. You just went. I went to London and then I came back to Birmingham. Oh, back to Birmingham, the lovely light of Birmingham. You but I mean, leave I mean, London's not very far, is it? It's just down no. the road. It's a little bit like Wolverhampton. You can yeah, just, just merge it in. Well, annex on. and annex. Of you just go on the train or in the car. <laughs> you think you're there. So you true. Know. So I used to you know, hang out there and you know, work, you know, meet people, you know, to do with business, um, publishing companies, record labels and things like that, you know. And then uh, I started releasing albums with The Nation Records and then I got a publishing deal with um, Bucks Music. I uh, went on to do... Um, you know, for example, I did library music with book music that they used all over the world. So, I, I mean, a lot of my music actually gets used in, you know, TVs and films all, all around the world through books music. In fact, my music's even been played on, uh, is it called East, EastEnders? Has in, it? Yeah, and program in the background. I know when I get the PRS. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, EastEnders, oh, bloody hell. But oh. I suppose when you're doing, like, production music, you could be anywhere in the world and it can just pop up. In any setting? You know, it gets used because the pub, that's a publisher's job is to push your music to get used, you know, so that's, it, that's their job. So my first album was called Mind Filter. Uh, Mind Filter because, it's an interesting title, because it's like um, coffee filter. But instead of coffee filter, it's mind filter. The concept was filtering your mind of all the nonsense and try to get at the reality and try to get at the truth of life. That's what the album was about. Is that how you see your music? Is it, you know, I quite often wonder, you said that you tried to do some other stuff, but music and artistry is your thing. Mm. Is music your escape? Is it your DNA? What is it? Do you find some solace in yeah. this art form? I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It is 
all of that. It is escape. It's uh, something which I find is spiritual and therapeutic, meditative. You know, I can reflect. I suppose that's my, my personality type, is to reflect, to observe, to watch. It's difficult for me to be part of normal things and to have a nine-to-five job. You know, I have to question, so that's part of my personality. So it's natural for me to, to do art. I think art is part of the questioning. And you yeah. talk about the spirituality. I know from, again, your background, being Punjabi, being Pakistani, that Sufi, yeah. Gawali music, which is very rooted in spiritualism, mm. Islamic spiritualism. But quite frankly, if you're Punjabi, it, again, it very much runs through your veins. So Yeah, I'm spiritual. What does it mean, spiritual? It means getting in touch with things beyond you know, this physical reality. So it could be through religion if you want to, but I found that um, I can get in touch with that thing, I don't want to put a name to it, through music, because music is not words. In fact, I've always found it difficult to express myself through words. And you might think, not well, you're expressing yourself quite well now, but I just found emotionally it's easy for me to express emotions and ideas through music. I always found it difficult to be emotional through words. Through poetry. Does that make sense to you? It does, although it's so, complete um, opposite to what I thought you'd say because you said when you were young, poetry was your thing. So where, yeah, at what point I dropped, did you... I dropped the poetry. I dropped the poetry and then I just got into music and, you know, for me, that was it. So I found myself this afternoon when I was listening to your music and it does, it takes you to, depending on what sort of person you are, but it yeah. just takes you to another realm, really. It did me. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, when you do a composition, you have to let that composition go, and then it becomes your composition when you, you're listening to it, you know. So I, I just don't even listen to it afterwards. I just move on to the next composition. And sometimes when I do listen to my music, it's not as if I've done it. I just listen to it and think, wow, who did this? It was me, but I, I, mean, I'm, I mean, when I listen to my early work, if, if I try to do that music now, I couldn't do that music because that music was done by that person at that time with that equipment. Now I do something, I'm onto something else now. So I listen to it and, you know, I think, well, that, that's so cool. Well, you talked about equipment, but it must also be reflecting... Equipment, yeah, um, it's important. But that changing style of your music must also reflect the, yeah. the spiritual and inside changes, isn't it? the inner change of yeah, you as a, yeah, as a person. Yeah, yeah, if you listen to some of my early stuff, you'll hear a lot of aggressive music. Heavy bass lines and drum and bass, and really, you know, because I felt angry. You know, that's, you'll hear that in my verse. And that, and that type of thing was part of the Asian underground scene. It was a lot of young people feeling angry, and that's what that was about. It's like the punk scene, it's like any scene. But that, that was our time, that was us. All of a sudden, you know, this is how we felt. Now it's different, I'm just, I don't know, what am I? I'm a grandpa doing weird old spiritual music. It's not weird, though. And, and then I keep getting all the yoga people loving my music. And I keep <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> I keep thinking, what, 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 why don't these yoga people leave me alone? What's, what's their problem? <laughs> Where's all the cool people, you know? Well, I walk through the mailbox and there's a yoga studio. Um, and, um, yeah, you're right, actually, to your I mean, music. Maybe, music I, should, maybe I should do yoga. Oh. That's, that's the conclusion <laughs> I'm coming to. <laughs> TJ Remy with his long yeah. lockdown hair becomes yoga guru of Birmingham. We haven't had one of those, have we? But don't be one of those dodgy ones that ends up on some Netflix no, if, documentary. If, if, and no, other if, if I was a yoga like guru, <laughs> I'd probably just... Actually, that is an idea. Uh, it did occur to me is to have a band and we just play music and you can turn up and just chill. 
and we just play yoga, meditate, spiritual music. Catering, catering for all religions. Even if you're an atheist, please, you know, it doesn't matter. That is yeah. a great idea. You know, whatever, find your thing, you know. So for you, I mean, the music landscape has changed so, so much. I've got a really nice feel of how you've evolved from the inner rage to this peaceful zen as a granddad. But what about the technology? How has that changed with you and has it changed for the well, better? interestingly... My journey has evolved alongside the journey of technology from the very early days. The first piece of equipment I had was... Um, no, actually, I remember a double cassette player trying to <laughs> record and then, you know, uh, and bounced and trying to... And then a four-track machine came along. Um, I had a Fostex four-track cassette player. And in fact, I used that Fostex four-track cassette player to demo Pradesi's first two albums. Their first album was a, a Tarmuk album, which is a religious album, because they wanted to do a religious album to start up their journey. So I thought, okay, let's do that. And then they did Nashedi Band Butle album. Oh my gosh, you're bringing up memories. And then on that, which I wrote the reggae bass lines on that one. And then we did all that on cassette, um, demo it, and then we took it to a, a proper studio with a, an experienced engineer, engineer, and then we just built up the um, whole album from there. And then after Atari, I had an Atari computer with the Akai sampler. I mean, that Akai sampler, the power. I mean, you, your phone is more powerful than the Akai sampler now. You know, kids, kids have phones, you know, more powerful. But, uh, but at the time, you know, we used that to sample sounds and sequence music. And when all, all the music during the 80s was on top of the pops and pop bands. They were all using, um, you know, this equipment. Atari computers with reel-to-reel um, tape. And then the um, different technology evolved, and, and then I kept buying new technology and developing. And now um, I have a, an iMac with loads of stuff. I still have my Atari, and I actually still have uh, my four-track in my studio. So mm. has it changed for the better for you? Um, yes and no. No, because the old, the sound, the digital sound is not the same as the analog sound, like vinyl and analog. It, it might work in some of the type of technology another but for music this it doesn't sort of uh, translate because uh, the old sound is um, a warmer sound and that warm sound is important um, I mean in fact um, all the new digital equipment tries to emulate um, the old sound so on my computer I've got when I'm creating music I have a reel-to-reel digital reel-to-reel I put everything through there to emulate that I put noise back into my music Bonkers, isn't <laughs> to, it? To, to, to get that sound. Sometimes you know? old is not just gold, yeah, but yeah. actually it's and the also, best way. If I, if, if I record, I mean, I, I use valve, valve amplifiers to, to, to record as well. So live recording, use, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, so you have evolved as the music landscape has evolved. What about us here, Birmingham, your city, the one that you've chosen to stay in, live in? Even when you went down to London, you were coming back. Yeah. How do you feel that Brum and Brummies, like yourself and mm. your peers, have influenced the UK's music um, scene, and indeed, actually, internationally as well? Well, I mean, I, I, like I said before, I mean, we certainly have influenced um, the scene, um, because I do know that the Bangra, um, the Bangra back in India and Pakistan, so it, it went back to there. The kind of Asian underground stuff that we were doing has influenced mainstream music, and it's normally... Um, the underground people who do stuff, and then the mainstream, they pick up ideas like putting an Indian flute in a pop track. And 
Nobody would have thought of that. We thought of all this sort of stuff, you know, because we knew about rugs and about... Um, you know, Scales it, it, and... Yeah, but yeah. we knew... We did this stuff in a way that's organic. It's not like the Beatles bunging a bit of sitar on top of a track, although the Beatles are really cool. You know, you know it, it was... I can explain to you. When we mixed Asian music with Western, it was organic and natural. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, rather I think it than, does. You rather, than, rather than Asian music being alien to you and you're trying to include it, um, you know, to add it to your music. So if that makes sense to you. I don't know if I'm expressing myself no, properly. No, I, I think, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. And actually the crux of it is that you were super influential. Our music has been super influential when it comes to the UK music scene and internationally as well because it, it's, the, it's taking the traditional bhangra, not fusing but like you said, organically bringing in other international That's sounds, right, yeah. blending it together, and then actually just throwing it back out to the rest of the yeah, world. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Birmingham generally has been quite influential to, you know, musically, and there's so many bands that have come from this area, not just Bangra, but, uh, I mean, even reggae bands, you know, like, I don't know, Steel Pulse and... Those, UB40 and... Yeah, yeah, and then rock, there's lots of rock, heavy rock bands as well, but they're... No, I don't, I, don't, I don't know why that is, you know. It's, uh, I think Birmingham is the type of area that it's easy for you to feel comfortable. You can hide in Birmingham. Or if you don't want to hide, then you can mix. And from Birmingham, it's like a, Birmingham's like a springboard to go to London or Manchester or wherever you want to go in the world. That's, that's what I think. You know. But you've chosen to stay in Birmingham. I chose to stay because I have friends and family. Birmingham is my home. That's it. You know, wherever you're brought up at. Your home is where your heart is, or your hat is, as they say, you know. And I always feel comfortable coming back to Birmingham. Even when I visited abroad, to the, even when I went to Pakistan, I felt out of place there. You know, I had to come back to Birmingham. Because as soon as you, you're in Pakistan, you know, people know you. They can see how you talk, how you walk, the clothes you wear, and that's it, you don't fit in. And, then, and as soon as you come back to Birmingham, it's like, hey, okay, how are you? All right, fine. Well, Everybody's your friend, you know. See, Birmingham is a city... And it's a feeling. Yeah. I mean, look, wherever you're brought up in, whoever you are, you know, you're going to feel comfortable. So if you were brought up in London or New York or wherever, you know, you're going to like that place. That's your home. Well, long may you continue producing sounds which echo out of our wonderful city. Thank you. It really has been great just getting an insight into your journey and how you've traversed from jazz and reggae and funk and then on to Bhangra and then back again into the beautiful sounds that you produce, the spirituality. And I'm going to look out for that yoga class. I'm coming. Yeah. You're going to see my downward dog yeah. to TJ Ramey's music. All right, that's great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> On Record, In Conversation is produced by Siobhan Stevenson for the Birmingham Music Archive and presented by Birmingham 2022 Festival with the generous support of Arts Council England and the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Oh.